Michelle, well, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to speak with you. Thanks so much for having me. It's, um, it's such a fabulous opportunity to chat to you too. I can't wait to get into it. So let's jump right in. So you're the country manager in Australia for Eden. Can you tell us a little bit about this amazing not-for-profit organisation and tell us a little bit about your role there? Absolutely. So I guess Eden Australia is, as it would suggest, the Australian arm of a operation based on the front line in Southeast Asia, Eden, where we actually walk into the red light districts, the vulnerable communities and the trafficking hubs. And we take a message of, of love, of hope, of opportunity and of freedom to those that have been tricked and trafficked and stolen and are being um, exploited in the most horrendous of ways. Eden's heart, Eden's focus is, is for those that are being tricked and sold for sexual exploitation. So they are in brothels, they are on the streets in the red light districts, they are in the KTVs and they are also being sold as brides. And this is, this is our heart. These are the humans that we want to reach out to, that we want to provide hope and opportunity and freedom for. So that's our frontline work, and I'd love to tell you so much more about that. But to address your question that you started with, even here in Australia, our heart and our operation is to raise awareness of this issue. Don't get me wrong, we absolutely have an issue with trafficking and exploitation um, within our own nation. But Eden here in Australia is actually really about supporting what our frontline teams do in Southeast Asia. And the second part of that is uh, is to finance the work that we do on the front line. You know, we are in such an amazing nation. We are so lucky. We have so much abundance when it comes to resource. And my heart and my beautiful team's heart here in Australia is to rally that resource together and support what we do on the front line in Asia. There's so much in what you just said that I sort of want to dive into. I mean, the first thing that just horrifies me is to just think that this happens in our world. And it's so easy, I think, when you live in Australia to just put your head in the sand and pretend that it doesn't. It's just extraordinary. Absolutely. And I think there's so many heartbreaking things, to be clear. But one of the heartbreaking things is that because the issue is so huge, so if I give you some, it's it's data, it's heartbreaking data, but let's talk about it for a second. So there is there is more slaves in the world today than there ever has been in all of human history. Oh, my God, that's terrible. Yeah, the industry of human tra- trafficking is the fastest growing criminal industry in the world today in 2022 generates look the numbers we know are really undercooked to be honest um over well in excess of 150 billion us dollars is generated through the buying and selling of humans globally every single year so huge business and the thing that you know as i said so many heartbreaking factors one of them is that because we look at that that data and that information often what it results in is this sense of I can't possibly make a difference. Mm. I'm paralysed by the enormity, so I won't do anything. And it's not that our hearts don't burn and break. It's not that we don't have the fire in our belly. But when you're looking at a crime that is that disgraceful, that is that massive, that transcends all its everywhere in our world it often results in us sadly going there's no way I can make a difference maybe I just won't bother Mm. but what I love about the work of Eden is that it actually brings it it's so it's so real and it's so right there and we can make a 
really direct difference by the work that myself and my team do here in Australia. Of course, what the team on the front line, the amazing team on the front line do makes a difference, but actually we can make a difference from here. Mm. Yeah, because I think so many people would think that it's such a distant problem like they're so removed from it and it's and that also contributes to this idea that they can't really make a difference it's a huge problem and they're quite removed from it so I guess that's what makes your activities here so important to connect people to that issue absolutely and I think as I said before we absolutely have an issue of trafficking and exploitation within Australian within within our nation And there are some amazing organisations here on our soil doing some pretty amazing things as well. I guess to your point, though, yes, Australians, we so often think it's not an issue that we have. We do have it. It's just not on the same scale of of these nations that we are working with in Asia. Sadly, the numbers that we talk about, so so I said before um, that it's the fastest growing criminal industry in the world. And I said that it generates in excess of 150 billion US dollars two-thirds of that, so about 99 billion US dollars, and that is, this is every year, two-thirds of that, about 99 billion is generated through the commercial sexual industry, so exploitation of the most horrendous nature. And of that number, 99% of those victims are women and girls, and 73% of those are found in the Asia-Pacific region. So again, I'm saying this is data speaking of today, And that is in our backyard. The Asia-Pacific region is in our backyard. Yeah. So, yes, we think it happens a long way away. And and whilst I've said that's that's not entirely true, but actually 73% of commercial sexual exploitation victims are in Asia-Pacific. It's horrifying numbers. It's just on such a huge scale. I never would have thought it would be on that scale. It never ceases to amaze me how far we think we've come when you look at the horrors of history and then you hear these statistics to say it's worse now than it's ever been is truly horrifying, I think. Yeah, and we often think about, I mean, William Wilberforce did amazing work, obviously. Like, you know, we all know him. We all learnt him about him in history and in growing up here in Australia and, you know, the transatlantic slave trade. And absolutely, that was an amazing achievement. And But, but it's sadly not the end of the story. And sadly, we keep living through this reality that it continues heartbreaking but I've got to say the but it is absolutely heartbreaking there's nothing about it that's not heartbreaking but the posture of Eden and everything that we do and everything that we do whether we're on the front line or whether we're here in Australia chatting to you ladies like this is we've got to operate from a posture of hope and that's what we can keep pressing forward with I think so often as we've kind of alluded to already if we just sit in the yucky data space um that's really overwhelming and paralyzing. But if we go, actually, with hope, I'm going to step forward, with hope, I'm going to speak up, with hope, I'm going to believe that we can make a difference, that's when we're going to see change, right? If our frontline team sat in that spot of going, whoa, what we saw last night, so here's a thing, what we saw last year, a 200% increase in the women and girls that we saw on the streets in Myanmar being sold because of the inf- impact of crisis in that there's a global pandemic and that there's a coup and effectively a civil war happening in that nation. If we sat in that, wow, we're still seeing more when we're out on the streets, we're seeing 200% more. That's not what's going to get us up and get us back out there speaking up, loving on those girls the next day. 
the hope bit and the passion is what's going to get us up and keep being out there. And and whilst I don't do rescue here with the team in Australia, but it's the hope bit and the bit that we can make a difference for that one girl again and that one girl again and that next girl again. Mm. That's what we've got to operate from because if we don't sit in that space, then we'll get burnt out and and we'll, you know, lose that motivation and that passion um, I think that's super important across many of the things, you know, many of the things that all of us do in our life. I think that probably speaks pretty true. Yeah, you have to keep hope. Yeah, we see that a lot in these conversations and in the conversation, you know, in the other conversations that we've had. It seems to be a common theme, this theme of hope and this theme of focusing on what, what you can do and the difference you can make and not being overwhelmed by the enormity of the issues and the problems that, that everyone are working to solve, whether it be climate change or, or sex trafficking. What do you do? I mean, what helps you stay in that space? Or have you got any practices that you do that help you maintain that, that hope? I think we're in constant communication with our team on the front line. An, an amazing woman that founded this organisation 19 years ago. I'm in really regular communication with her and she always has, there's always heartache and the hard stuff and the really yuck stuff that turns your stomach, that makes you cry, that breaks your heart. But there's also the great stuff. And if we can, again, I mean, that's just linking into that hope bit. So we, I make sure that, you know, I hear that information and share it with my team because it's those bits that keep us going, right? It's knowing that there is breakthrough and there is that one more girl that we had that conversation with or there is that brothel that closed down because actually we were able to have a conversation with the pimp and say to him, you know what, what you're doing is not okay. We acknowledge you need to generate an income for your family, but let us help you find something else that's going to generate an income rather than the buying and selling of humans. So um, I think one of our, one of my, I guess, methods is to focus on those stories and share those stories, share those stories that are the, the positive news stories. And I guess the other thing I do is that my team here in Australia is an amazing bunch of very gifted individuals and we all know the heaviness and the heartache in the work that we do but we also just have really beautiful time together and doing the work that we do and you know focus on the joy pieces and lift each other up when we know there's heavy stuff going on and so I'm really lucky that the team here are also many of my very best friends and if they weren't when we started working together they certainly have become over time as well and I think that is such an important part of the work that we do too because we get to do it with people that are like-minded and that we love dearly and that, you know, make everything that we do feel like such a part of a, a beautiful team. So that's pretty special. That would be important, especially just people that understand what you're experiencing. Like I could imagine it would just be so emotionally stressful and to be able to talk about it with your team members is so important just to help each other through it. Absolutely. And and it's interesting because we'll all get hit by different realities. You know, some things you seem to carry better than your colleague and your friend. And, and I think that's part of the team pit too, because, you know, we're always there for each other. And sometimes there's always sort of someone standing, <laughs> you know, like we kind of carry each other when it gets right. And, you know, and as I said, like we are, we are here, our heart and our role here in Australia is about 
mobilizing awareness, raising awareness, raising finances. And sometimes that feels, it can feel a bit more removed from what we do. But, you know, it's also reminding each other that, you know, wow, we had, we actually just had a great event where we sold a lot of jewelry. We haven't talked about the jewelry yet, but I'll explain that in a minute. Um, and, you know, that's a huge celebration for us because actually that does make a difference as well. So grabbing on to these, all the, all the bits and pieces that are joyful um, is really important. I think too there's, you know, what I hear, which I love, is there's real courage and I think it's courage in showing up every day even though you know it's going to be hard and it's going to be upsetting. And I think when you you live in a first world country, it's very easy to want to avoid pain and want to avoid the realities that occur within our world. And it's and it's possible to do it to a certain extent. So I think it's really courageous of you and your team to show up and not be afraid that you know you're going to hear stories that are just heartbreaking and that they are going to upset you and there's going to be days that are really tough. I think it's, you know, it's. I find it really, really impressive. Our theme, Kate, for this year is where it's bold and courageous. Well, nailing it, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I just think, you know, um, well, again, I acknowledge the frontline team, the guys that do that frontline work. That's next level amazing and they're incredibly humble and beautiful humans. But for us here, absolutely bold and being bold and courageous for us sometimes, for, for me sometimes that's asking, putting our hand up for help, inviting myself to someone else's podcast um, <laughs> um, or asking someone to donate. You know, right now we're, we want to raise some finances because actually we've got this uh, I, I guess a bit more of an out of a box, unusual need for our teams on the front line in Myanmar right now, and I'm trying to um, I'm trying to find toys. So I'm asking toy companies if they'll give me toys, and you know that takes sometimes that that's you've just got to feel you got to put your brave pants on, and it takes a bit of courage. So it looks like from the the smaller things, which is just somebody sort of you know they'll say no and move on, and you'll possibly never meet them again. So that's okay. To you know sort of the bigger, more scary things, um, and indeed what our amazing teams are doing, particularly in Myanmar right now, which is as I alluded to before, a nation that is going through just the most heartbreaking of, of times. I'd like to hear more about Eden, but first it would be great to hear a little bit more about your journey and what led you to start working for Eden and, and how you sort of started it up here. So I think you were working in marketing before. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, so I studied marketing at uni and uh, loved it. Uh, was really fortunate to start off working with a really iconic Australian brand, Hard Yakka. Um, great opportunity there, and then went from working there to working in the travel industry. And that's where I spent the next fifteen years of my career in great sales and marketing roles in the travel industry, which. Obviously, um, right now is hurting given COVID, but is an amazing industry to be a part of. Who doesn't love a little bit of travel and exploring the globe and all that sort of stuff? So a, a career that I loved, but I was on maternity leave with my second child and was given a necklace for Christmas in 2015. And as I unwrapped the necklace, I read the packaging and the packaging explained the story of a girl who had been sold onto a ship and was forced to service 60 men for three months. And then the Eden team encountered her once once she was let off the ship and she was incredibly unwell. She had HIV AIDS and 
Um, devastatingly, she passed, but she passed in the loving arms of the Eden team. And so that is a heartbreaking end to that story. But as I read it that I and, and opened the necklace that that packaging was on, the words on that particular piece were reach, rescue and restore. And so despite the fact that her story was incredibly heartbreaking, it was in the end that she um, she left this legacy and she was loved by the Eden team. And um, and I just sort of had that story from reading it on the packaging and the necklace that said Reach, Rescue, Restore. And it was, it was Christmas Day and I had like a, two kids under two um, and I put that necklace around my neck and it weighed heavy on my shoulders, literally tangibly heavy. And I thought that I was relatively aware of global issues. I, I was relatively educated. You know, I, I just sort of thought that I should know. I'd travelled after uni. I'd studied. You know, I thought I should know about this and I was gutted that I didn't. And so I started researching human trafficking. I started researching this organisation, Eden, and the fire in my belly just grew. And and three months later, I attended a women's conference and leadership and women's and the, the speaker talked about stepping out of your comfort zone and using your gifts and your skills and your connections and expanding your sphere of influence and all these sorts. And I was like, that's it. I really feel a calling to do something here. I really feel that this is time for me to, to put up my hand. And, and with that, I went home and emailed the founder of Eden, the woman that had, you know, started this organisation at the time, I don't know, might have been 15, 10, 15 years earlier, and just said, I'm, I'm in Australia, I don't know what I can do, I've got a background in business and marketing, and I want to help. And, you know, within not long at all, I had a massive jewellery delivery to my house, and I'd started writing effectively a business and marketing plan, because that's what I knew how to do from my, you know, career so far and started to think about what my objectives would be here in Australia. And, and as I sort of have alluded to already, that was really about raising awareness, um, mobilising those of us as we sort of capture this reality and capture that passion, mobilising um, the army effectively to do something. Our army, that's the good army. Uh, let's, let's be clear. <laughs> mobilising us as humans to speak up against injustice. And like we said before, I, I think the reality is so much about us thinking it's so far away, I can't make a difference. But actually in reality, given that we are in that sense, uh, there is a little bit of distance um, between us and where these issues are really huge a little bit because as I said before it is on our backyard we are in this place where we have resource we have finances we have time we have corporate companies that want to be a part of um, investing in justice issues and so that's actually was a beautiful calling to start Eden Australia to grab a hold of the opportunities that are here and, and yeah, so from very small beginnings when jewellery landed and my son, who was quite young, we kicked him out of his bedroom and he went into sort of effectively a cupboard off uh, my husband's and my <laughs> bedroom. Um, and then, uh, and his bedroom became our little jewellery warehouse. And from there, we had an amazing, generous partner that gave us office space and volunteers. Just um, my sister jumped on board with me from day one, um, which is cool talking to you two um, because the power of sisters. My big sister said, yes, we're totally doing this. Um, and from that 
that moment, it's just grown and grown. And I guess despite global pandemic and despite particularly the political instability and um, situation in Myanmar, which is our main point of operation at the moment, we've continued to grow and reach more ears and have more conversations. And that is a beautiful thing. It's a heartbreaking thing that we got to do it, but it's it's really great to know that we can be a voice um, to the people here in Australia. Has there been any barriers along the way, Michelle? Yeah, yeah, many. <laughs> um, but you know, you know, I didn't mention it before when we were talking. But I think interestingly, eight years before I received that Eden necklace, and eight years is a bit of a guess to be honest. But my husband and I, before we had kids at the time, were reading an article. It was literally the Sunday Age, and we were reading about a brothel in Richmond. I'm from Victoria, um, so that's just not that far away from where I live. And it was just the most horrendous article and we were absolutely heartbroken to think that we had this situation of trafficking and exploitation happening in a brothel that was so close to where we lived. And it was at that point that I actually started researching or doing it, you know, and it was at that point that my husband and I at the time decided that we we could just go to Richmond and solve the problem. We'd just go and rescue the girls. That's a great idea. Pretty quickly we realised that that wasn't probably smart and then we were like, well, what can we do to make a difference? Like what I alluded to before, when we read this data, when we read the information, it's so heartbreaking, it's so scary and so we did nothing. So the barrier in my life, even though we have done things now, but the barriers actually were well and truly in place way back then. You know, I I got the laptop out, I'd started Googling and about two hours later I kind of closed it and we went, wow, that was too hard, let's not take action. So the barrier still to this day is sometimes that sense of being overwhelmed or being fearful. And and Lisa, our founder, um, often says to myself and my team, don't shrink back, let's not, be, let's not let fear govern, like just step into it, dream big. You know, it's all those same things that we need to talk to ourselves in, in so many things in life. But it is, it's fear so often that gets in the way. That's why we're, I'm wearing my bold and courageous necklace. Fear is a constant um, barrier. The, as I said, the enormity of it still is a barrier, even though we're in it and, and already sort of speaking up and being a part. I love that. I really love that because I think it is so true. And I think early on when Julia and I started this podcast, we spoke a lot about fear of not knowing the next step. And and one of the concepts that we wanted to explore in this podcast around So You Want to Make a Difference is that you just need to find someone that's a step or two in front of you. You don't have to find someone and that is doing the most amazing, big, huge, humongous thing and has been doing it forever. You just need to be inspired and that's why we wanted to have these conversations, to be inspired and just find those people that might only be a step or two in front of you in whatever field they're trying to make a difference in because that's all we need to just pave a little bit of light along the way, which is why we we wanted to do this conversation. Absolutely. Uh, that is 100% how I feel. I've got this post-it note by, by my desk. It says, one of them says comparisons are punk. It's actually something that I like. 
<laughs> what I even is that? that. <laughs> Comparison to punk. And, you know, it's first of all, I brought that up. Like, it was that was something I had in like my pet with my parenting brain on. Just, you know, I, I don't even remember the scenario, but I just remember like you've got little kids and they're in the playground and like they're all like, anyway. And I was like, oh, I'm going to give that lesson to myself because actually it sounds ridiculous, even though we were operating the justice space. You compare yourselves to other people operating the justice space. Like, why are IJM so, you know, got so much breakthrough? Well, support it and cheer it on. Don't make it a negative upon yourself. Like, embrace it. Learn from them. They're further up the path than you or along the path or whatever. But that's a beautiful thing. Be inspired. Learn from. We're in this together, right? Um, Particularly when we're operating in this space of justice. And your point about the step. Absolutely. You know, the other, the last message of that conference that I alluded to before, the last speaker of that conference that night, she's like, just take one step. She's like, because if you knew I was at the top of the staircase, fear would just totally shut you down because you don't know, you just got to take one step at a time. And then the beautiful thing of that, so that was part of the, the, the one step for me at that time was reaching out to Lisa and the team um, in Asia the other beautiful thing about that now is that people are encouraged by your steps, right? And I'm like, oh, I couldn't encourage anyone ever. Like, no way. But you do actually, you know, you, you do because there is generations behind you. I like to think that I'm super young. <laughs> I might have. <laughs> you are. <laughs> I, I might have gone over. My my age might now start with a four. Shh. But there's now there is these like the next generation, the the early twenties that are, or even late high schools, that next generation are going to be such a powerhouse when it comes to fighting these big human rights issues, these big justice issues. You know, globally, we have data, we have resource, and we just need to bring it all together. And no longer will that generation, I believe, and I want to believe, and I have a huge fire in my belly about it, is that it's with that generation, we will, they will stop saying, human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal industry in the world. They will tip that bell curve. And my goodness, it is my biggest prayer that they would be up there, someone that has is aware of uh, the issue of trafficking and has a heart for it. Look, it'd be amazing if it happened in this generation, but it's not likely. But they're going to get up there and say, no longer can we say that. And that is my huge heart. I do a little bit of work in schools, um, about mobilizing, you know, the and make and raising awareness, and you see some of them. We see so many of that next generation. They're like firecracker attitude, and that is what's going to make a difference as well. I could not agree more, and I really, I really see that fire too. And I think they don't. I mean, I'm not saying gross generalization here. I'm not saying people don't have fear in the next generation, but I think that some, so many of them are so passionate about not letting them hold it back, and I think in anything that you're doing that's worthwhile, and I think Brené Brown sort of says it best, and I'm going to paraphrase because I'm really bad at remembering directly what people say, is if you want to live a courageous life and you want to be in the arena and to do what you want to do with your life, you are it, it's you're gonna you're gonna be afraid you're gonna you're gonna need courage you're gonna fall down you're gonna make mistakes like it is guaranteed so the quicker you just accept that as a given and do it anyway and I think I don't know Jules when we started this podcast we were both a bit nervous like you know having the conversations a year ago as to what it was going to look like and what were we going to do so outside of our comfort zones. <laughs> Massively outside of our comfort zone, wasn't it? And we were just like, let's just keep meeting every week, have a chat, 
think about what we didn't even know what topic we wanted to talk about or, or you know anything and then over time it just kind of evolved and we just kept taking one step which was kind of showing up every week or choosing a logo or choosing a name then choosing a choosing a theme you know and it just sort of slowly snow, snowballed from there and now it's like I'm, I'm not a, I'm not afraid anymore I'm like this is great I'm so happy that we didn't allow that fear to stop us because now we get to have amazing conversations. I have, a, I have another post-it note next to that other post-it note that we've already talked about. The other po- I got lots of post-it notes. <laughs> um, that one is uh, I'm a huge Brene fan, at Courage Over Comfort, and then framed above my, in, in sort of my reading room, if you will, which is much more like a reading cupboard, but it's where I go to hide from my small people <laughs> from time to time. And I have that very quote that you're speaking about, Kate, the man in the arena, framed, and I've done a uh, a few of Brene Brown's, or I've read a few of her books, and what have you, and that idea of not listening to the cheap seats—that's yes. that other thing, not letting the that which often is ourselves sometimes if we're really honest. So not listening to ourselves say you are not good enough, you can't do this, what are you thinking, why are you bothering, all that sort of. So don't listen to the cheap seats. And just that idea of, yeah, it's the guy that's going to fail, guy slash woman slash human, that's going to fall and get dirty and dusty and sweaty and and blood on their face or whatever. (laughs) But it's that, that, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I want to be that person. I want to be the person that I don't necessarily want to fail because that hurts, but the reality is that we're all going to here and there. But if we can get get ourselves back up and dust off again, um, at least we gave it a crack, hey? Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely. Can you tell us a bit about um, your experience on the front line and when you've travelled to Myanmar, what that experience has been like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in short, it's been incredibly heartbreaking but amazingly beautiful all at the same time. Our teams that are there in Myanmar do such a beautiful job of loving on and supporting the women and girls that we exist to reach out to and to serve. Um, I have been to um, multiple of our locations over the years, most recently just before COVID um, and just before the coup. uh, I was in Myanmar with a team of the other, um, with some of the other amazing Australian volunteers and we spent time doing all sorts of things, to be honest. Um, We built a playground in what was at the time a dedicated mother-baby shelter. So if I just take a step back for a minute to, to talk about once, once our teams on the front line uh, have met with the women and girls um, in the brothels or on the streets, it's a process of building up trust and friendship over time and speaking to them about an exit strategy should they wish. So, you know, Hollywood shows us movies that look a lot like burst in, break down a brothel door, take the girls and you're out of there. It's, it's not the reality, well, it's not Eden's reality because we think these are very vulnerable, very precious individuals and that is a highly traumatic situation. So over time building up trust and friendship is so important to us and then once the girls are aware of an exit strategy and in a scenario when desperation and courage and opportunity collide, the girls are then empowered themselves to make the decision to go. They know that we'll be there at the other end of the phone or whatever that strategy is that we have developed with those girls. But that empowers them to make that decision. So sadly, the reality for a human trafficking victim is that they are often sold and on sold treated like a commodity, right? So from one pimp to another, 
tricked again, told by someone else that they love them, they're lied to over and over. Um, and I, I can't remember the data off the top of my head, but it is frighteningly high that they are become this sold and tricked and lied to again. So our heart at Eden is very much to ensure that the women and girls have, have built that trust and friendship with us before they decide to, you know, come into our care. Once they have executed that exit strategy, we offer safe shelter an environment where the girls come in and we initially focus on medical care, um, trauma-informed care. You know, it's so important. Sadly, all of them come in with some immediate medical care that needs to be provided, whether they be STIs. Sadly, HIV is, is obviously a big issue. Um, so we address those and then a huge focus on trauma-informed care and creative therapies. We have a lot of fun and we, we bring out a lot of joy. We do a lot of dance, art, craft, you know, these sorts of things, um, singing. We know data tells us that that does help with trauma recovery. And uh, the founder of Eden, her background is actually in clinical psychology. So um, she is, you know, leading the charge on that focus on providing that one-on-one -on -one trauma-informed care and, side note, raising up local individuals in the nations that we are operating to be empowered and, and trained up and skilled in order to also provide that trauma-informed care, which is so empowering and beautiful in, in many other sort of ways. Then with these women and girls, it's really important. We know the reality is that we need to give them new sustainable skills that, that would break their trafficking cycle. If we don't equip with new skills and empowerment, a sense of self-worth and dignity, if we don't help them through that before they effectively go back out into the world, that's that's not that's not empowering. That's that's you know taking you short term out of a situation. Um, so we have a huge focus then on education, vocational training, and employment. And what that looks like within the Eden fold, and can I say, is changing all the time. But one of our constants is, is an international jewellery social enterprise, I guess. And what that, what that looks like is uh, the girls hand make jewellery pieces. They design jewellery pieces. They hand make jewellery pieces. And then we sell those jewellery pieces all around the world. And that is so beautiful on so many levels. One, it's economic empowerment for the women Two, it's also very therapeutic because it's very creative. It gives them a great sense of pride and joy when they are able to make these amazing pieces of jewellery as well. And that is so beautiful to see. Additionally, well, it finances a lot of the rescue work that we do. So we talk about Eden Australia being involved in financing our frontline work. So a big part of what myself and my team do is sell jewellery that has been handmade by these women and designed by these women. And then, and, and the last point of that is it also empowers each of us as consumers, one, to make a really um, beautiful purchase decision, but then we carry the story because all of these designs carry the story of a woman or are, um, are a mantra that we should hold on to. You know, like I said, today I'm wearing something that says bold and courageous. Like these women are bold and these girls are bold and courageous. To make that decision to exit that environment is so bold and courageous. And then every step after that also <laughs> needs to be bold and courageous. So whether it be a design that is representative of hope or freedom or if it's a mantra, what it does is for those of us that 
purchase the jewellery, it allows us to be inspired by that story but also to speak up and to share this message, you know, to tell people, can I tell you, I'm, I'm forever telling people at school pickup or at a cafe, I'll tell you about my necklace. I'll tell you why it says what it says. I'll tell you why it says speak up because let me tell you, human trafficking is the fastest growing. You know, it's it's a really great way for us to mobilise this positive army that I speak of that would raise awareness about the issue of trafficking. That's a really long side note for the question that you actually asked me. No, but that's amazing. It's incredible. Yeah, we wanted to hear about the jewellery. had a look on your website and the jewellery is just gorgeous beautiful pieces yeah, they are and it's amazing to and, and I love seeing I guess that's where I was going yes I have been to multiple of our sites and to see the women sitting there um, shoulder to shoulder some of them laughing and giggling full of joy some of them choosing not to speak yet going through that healing journey obviously has everyone on a different parts of their healing journey ongoing and some of them are uh, happy they're making jewellery but not speaking and some of them are giggling and completely just full of joy and craziness and that gets really loud and outrageous and ridiculous and beautiful at the same time. And then to see them do that for a few hours and then to all go and have lunch together and then, you know, when um, some of us were there in uh, March 2020, um, then to go and do a Zumba class and then go and um, paint their dream with one of the creative therapists that's there with them, encouraging them to dream and encourage them to use their creativity to put that onto a canvas and actually paint what they're dreaming for as they're like sort of going through the Eden program. To see all of those things in action is just amazing and to see how like real it is and it's small enough it's just so personal and beautiful and yes there are sadly millions of people globally that need to be rescued but to see this smaller collection of amazing humans that are currently in that program in that house with those amazing program staff and other Eden individuals that are there to support them through their healing journey it's really amazing yeah I can imagine in the really hard times that thinking back to those moments and to that picture would really help give you that hope that you need to keep going absolutely one of the signature our our signature piece of jewelry is called the committed necklace and it is it's effectively two necklaces Um, it has an inner gold heart and then it's encompassed by an outer heart and we sell the outer heart as Um, so people around the world buy that outer heart of the committed necklace but the inner heart goes with our outreach teams who walk into the red light districts and the brothels the vulnerable communities and they introduce themselves you know I, I highlighted before the importance of building that trust and relationship we introduce ourselves to those girls by putting on that inner gold heart and telling them that someone somewhere around the world is believing for their freedom is praying for them is speaking up for them is you know all those and And when we were there in March, I did go out with our frontline team uh, at one point and to put that inner heart around the neck of multiple girls and each one just burns so bright in my memory to see their response to some say, you know, um, we've never been, I've never been given a gift um, as they stand there on a street corner waiting to be told what to do by their pimp or their madam or and and just speaking love and hope and opportunity over them with that inner heart was so incredibly powerful 
it's a beautiful piece and it has that really direct connection. We actually, I actually saw the video of that. We'll put it in the resources section because it is a beautiful video, the short little video of, of that exact experience and it's very touching and moving. And I just think such a such a beautiful gesture, as you said, for these women that have have maybe never experienced any form of love or care. Absolutely. I mean, sadly, what a lot of them are carrying as well and even more so right now, you know, the UN said, released an article that I was reading at the start of the pandemic that said with any crisis, i.e. a pandemic or also a coup, you know, you see an exponential increase in these atrocities such as human trafficking and sadly that's exactly what we've seen. The reality for a lot of these girls and women is that they have been sold by their families. So to be carrying that reality that they could be sold by a family member, by their mum and dad who are there, my understanding of that is the people that are there to protect and nurture. So these girls that our teams are interacting with and meeting on the streets and putting that love heart around their neck, that's the reality that they're living with. For a lot of them, that is their reality. So incredibly powerful to speak that love and value over them. And in what to us is such a small gesture, but to them is such a huge thing. Life-changing. Yeah. I'd like to just pivot the conversation because I always like to ask this question around our podcast is is about making a difference and, and, it, and it's trying to, I guess, inspire and inform and encourage people that, maybe have been sitting on the fence, which Julia and I will be the first to admit has been us in the past when there might be an issue that you're really passionate about and yet you find yourself not really taking any action. And I think my question is around why do you think that happens and have you got any tips of what people can do to overcome that inertia, if you like? Well, that tendency to, to have the fire in your belly but not take the step yet? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, look, I think it's very, sadly, it's very natural for all of us to let fear or, you know, fear of rejection, fear of failure, I got it wrong, I looked a fool, to really um, guide our decisions or hamper our decisions or hamper our courage to take the next step. I, I think the thing that we need to hold on to or focus on is what's the passion because when your heart for the issue, and yes, clearly mine is human trafficking, but for others it is climate change and for others it's animal rights and there is so many things for us to get passionate about in the world. But fix your eyes on the passion and and trust or have the courage to believe that you can make a difference. And the thing that we've got to grab a hold of, or my, my view is, is that we might not be going to completely change the issue. I know that Michelle Kerr is never going to end human trafficking. But if we can just positively contribute a little bit, if everyone is positively contributing a little bit together collectively, then that's actually when we're going to make a difference. Like that is when we're going to start to see a change in the human trafficking data, when we have lots of individuals in different spaces with different skills and different backgrounds. We've got the business women that reasonable at marketing we've got the really amazing brave and courageous humans that are on the front line doing that extending their hand we've got the clinical psychologists that are helping with the trauma-informed care it's when all of those 
cogs effectively in the clock are spinning, are doing a little bit that we're going to see change. And we've got to remember that. So with our eyes on our passion, whatever it is, whatever the fire in our belly is, acknowledging that I've got a part to play. And if I don't play that part, well, who's going to? Because then the clock won't spin. I'm not going to be the whole clock. None of us are going to be the whole clock, right? But we just got to all be those little cogs. And then together, if we can do that, that's when we, you know, I keep talking about mobilising, but that's when we're going to see change. Just remembering that we don't have to be the solution to the whole problem, but we have a part to play. And remembering that everyone has their own piece of value to contribute, as you said, with their own skills. Yeah. And you might be like, all I can do is, well, all I can do is is business related. And that seems many ways, in many ways, whilst in actual fact, it's not true, but in my inner voice, in many ways, that's not, I don't work in the justice space. I can do a pretty good spreadsheet or, you know, I can put a marketing campaign together. But actually, that's all part of it, yeah? Yeah. And um, we spoke a bit before about how with human trafficking, it can seem like such a distant problem, even though it is just in our our backyard. And so that might lead people to thinking there's not much um, they can do to help. Uh, Do you have any suggestions of changes that people can make in their everyday lives to help reduce human trafficking? Maybe it's in their consumer choices or ways that they can help. Yeah, that's a great question because actually I often get asked, like, how am I contributing to trafficking in humans when I live here in, you know, the north, whatever part of Australia you're in, um, I'm, not, I'm not doing anything that contributes to human trafficking. Now, today, and I guess specifically when people are making that comment to me, it's because they know our heart at Eden is, is a real focus towards those that are being sexually exploited. So they are they are trafficked for the purpose of sexual exploitation. So they're in a brothel or they're being sold as a bride. And people will say, I'm not contributing to that. Uh, yes. Okay, fine. That might be that might be true. A couple of things, though, that we can do still to make a difference. I would point out that the travel industry that I was and still love dearly, to be very clear, back when I went pre-pandemic, sadly we did see like on the streets of Thailand sadly you did see exploitation happening right in front of your face and it is actually there was tourists that went to see and watch things that were so clearly exploitation and and KTVs those karaoke bars and that sort of thing that happen and you know uh, and sadly we are contributing. We go to that area, and we. So yes, I never, I never purchased. I never. But actually, just by being there, like that is a big no to me. That is a hands down no. You know, those girls don't want to be in that environment. Even being in that bar or in that area just is a hands down no. Now, clearly, none of us have travelled for a little while. I think there is still so much we can do in terms of our consumption, in terms of trafficking, because trafficking for labour exploitation is so huge. So within Australia, even we we talk about um, fruit pickers and these sorts of things. We need to be aware that all of that, any any consumption decisions that we are making, even if it's homegrown Australian fruit that we've got eyes on on the standards of the organisations that we're supporting. Um, that is so important. And fast fashion is a huge thing, or well, fashion in general. And I went to a, a certainly not my area of expertise, let's be very clear about that in, in when I'm commenting on these things. But 
I went to this really interesting seminar a couple of weeks ago by this amazing woman who had lived and worked in um, the slums in uh, Thailand, but looking at the impact of our fast fashion purchases here in Australia on those communities and it is utterly heartbreaking. So trafficking in general has many different like the results of why individuals are trafficking yes sexual exploitation is my focus but um, labor exploitation is such a huge thing and the way that we contribute to that all the time is by uh, the purchase decisions that we make and whether that be the fruit that we put in our kids lunch boxes or whether it be the jacket or the shoes that we put on that is so our purchase decisions are actually so much more powerful than we know. But again, we all have a part to play because me just standing up and saying, I'm not supporting that brand because I know that their standards are rubbish actually ain't going to make a stink of difference. But if we all tap into actually what brands are manufacturing and producing their garments um, ethically, if we all press into that, then collectively we'll make a difference. If we've only got a small minority doing it the big brands won't listen we will and and exploitation will continue um, there is a great resource baptist world aid produced a um, fashion guide uh, ethical fashion guide and they ranked all the brands so that's really important and hey we're we're around easter time and uh ethical chocolate production a huge thing the amount of child labor in cocoa production the coffee that you drink, where you, the cafes that you support, check what coffee they're serving, like those sorts of farming. We know that they are sadly littered with exploitation, child labour, um, and we need to act with our purchase decisions. We need to inform ourselves. And, yes, it's inconvenient. But do you know what? A little bit of extra reading for my inconvenience versus what those individuals that are being forced to work around the clock with disgraceful living standards we can't say I don't have time to do that research we can't use that as an excuse because it's it's not okay yeah absolutely agree uh yeah you're so right like it's not um we just often make excuses but when you put it that way it's just there's absolutely no excuse what we're experiencing any sort of you know inconvenience it just has there's no comparison absolutely just before we wrap up, are there any, um, we like to sort of put some resources in the podcast notes for people that might be interested to learn more about Eden or um, human trafficking or anything that you've spoken about today for people that have a fire in their belly or just want to support the amazing work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd encourage anyone to jump onto our website. So it is, this is eden.org. And within that, it not only talks about um, the work that we do, which obviously I have chatted through a bit here, but also on there is all the jewellery designs uh, linking to the stories of the women, which are really heartbreaking but very beautiful as well. And also some videos, some short videos on there, and I'd encourage you to watch them because also that just helps you really understand how we can have a direct impact in these women's lives by um, supporting organisations such as Eden. The other organisation that I would maybe steer uh, your listeners towards is an organisation called Stop the Traffic. 
as I said, Eden is very much focused in the sexual exploitation space, but Stop the Traffic is a little more umbrella in terms of a general resource around all forms of exploitation and trafficking. So to the point that we were just having, you know, at the moment they're doing a lot of awareness around cocoa production, um, what brands you should be supporting, naming and shaming the brands that please don't buy your Easter eggs from these people just because it's convenient and they're stocked in the big, you know, supermarkets down the road. So that's, that is a really great resource that's Stop the Traffic. Uh, they are a great one. And another organisation doing some amazing things that we hear a lot of in Australia is IJM, which is International Justice Mission, and they are doing a lot of work in various locations. But that would be another organisation to keep your eye on. Great. We'll put all of that in the in the podcast note. Thank you so much for your time today. I think I could talk to you for another hour. Like I just think the work that you guys are doing is just phenomenal and it's so heartwarming to hear the work that's going on and that these women have a place where they feel safe and loved and have an opportunity to build a life and to support themselves is um, is truly amazing. And so thank you so much for your time today. It was a real pleasure meeting you and hopefully we will see you again soon. I would love that. Um, thank you so much for having me, ladies. I really appreciate questions and interaction and your support already of the work that we do just by having me on your platform. It's pretty amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. So, Jules, what an amazing conversation. I'm so grateful that we had that opportunity to speak to Michelle and just learn and hear her story. I just really loved speaking with her. I think Eden is just an incredible organisation and everything they do, it's just so important. Obviously, like I knew a little bit about human trafficking, but you just don't uh, understand the magnitude of the issue and... Uh, I just found, yeah, Michelle's journey was quite incredible. So takeaways? Yeah, takeaways. So I had so many, to be honest. But if I had to choose the key themes that I just loved, I think the first one was around hope, which, which I did say, you know, is a theme of ours, but really focusing on the hope and remembering that you're not alone um, in the journey and to not let the barriers of overwhelm, it's too hard, fear of failure or fear of not not being good enough or not being able to um, make a difference um, that just to not let that fear govern our actions and that's actually a bit of a decision a bit of a choice that we get that we get to make in this journey yeah absolutely thought those two the importance of having courage exactly what you're saying like fear just cannot be what drives us and having yes what you were saying like remembering you're not alone and relying on your team to help you through especially when you're dealing with issues that are quite um, emotionally stressful to just remember that there are people around you to to talk things through and to to help you through that exactly I like when Michelle was saying that um, you just can't let the idea that it is inconvenient to take action to be an excuse um, when you're thinking about the position people are in that are actually being affected by these issues, you it's just no comparison to what we experience. It's such a luxury for us to be in a position to take action. So it's thinking that it's inconvenient or making any kind of other excuse just isn't an option. Yeah, I agree. It's a bit of tough love, I think, on ourselves around just kind of get out of our own ways and take action. The other thing I loved that Michelle shared with us is her post-it note, comparison is a punk. I really, that made me laugh, but it's so true. And I think 
I love that we, when we find ourselves in a space of comparison, that we can choose to support the other person, cheer them on, be inspired by them, learn from them, and don't let their success stop you from showing up. And I know that I massively suffer from that, um, the comparison. Um, so I loved, I loved that because it's so true. We, you know, there's plenty to go around and, uh, you know, I really loved that. I got what she was saying, but what does comparison is a punk mean? Like what does is a punk? I didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> like I get what the message. Yeah, yeah, the actual saying, yeah. Yeah, I guess when you're saying comparison is a punk, I took it to mean, I mean it's a bit of an old-fashioned saying I guess, but I took it to mean that it's just a load of crap. Don't buy into it. Bollocks. Yeah, definitely something to remember in life. Cool. Um, My last one was uh and I guess I I really like how Michelle just thought about what her skills were and how she could leverage them and put them towards her passion I think a lot of people can relate to this that they think they um, might have worked in a different industry that's not related to their passion and they might not think that they're able to make a meaningful contribution But if everyone just does something in their own way and thinks about how they can leverage their own unique set of skills, it can really have a big impact when you work together. It's great to be reminded that we each and every one of us bring amazing skills, which kind of links into my last point, which was around that we all have a part to play and we're all a little cog. Um, She talked about a cog in a clock or a machine and it's when everyone does their little bit, we will make a difference and we can see change and that we don't have to expect that we're going to make a difference all on our own because that's not actually how it works, which I thought yeah. was beautiful. I agree. Great. Thank you, Kate. Thanks, Jules. Um, see you next time.